good morning, but louder, Grace people. <laughs> oh, not so much you, but me. Oh, welcome to worship. It's good to be together. And aren't you glad that when you walked in this morning, you had people to greet you and to welcome you in, rather than, say, you were walking in and somebody was like, hey, uh, your shoes, they're not good enough to get you in here. Sorry, bud. Um, but if you want, I can sell you a pair of shoes for like 300 bucks. They're the same shoes you have, but they'll get you in because they're the ones I sold you. Wouldn't that be weird? Yeah, let's read the Bible. <laughs> John chapter 2. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all of them from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables to those who sold doves. He said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Whoa, what was going on there? Jesus got pretty, pretty excited there. He got pretty heated. And uh, what was the big deal? Well, I think uh, a big part of it is that God is concerned with access, with the ability to get to him, to come to him, to be present with him, for him to be present with us. And he really doesn't like it when people get in the way, especially for their own motives, for their own reasons, for their own gain. That makes him angry. Uh, in this situation, you know, maybe you're a little familiar with this, but a lot of us aren't. Um, it was almost time for the Passover. Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, just like any good Jewish pilgrim who was able would have done. They would have gone to the temple because the temple in Jerusalem is where you worship God. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to go to this church here, or if I don't like Community of Grace, I'll just go to the Methodist church across the street or the 50 other churches you drove by to get here this morning. There was a place for you to go once a year to offer your sacrifice at the feast of Passover. This was a big deal. Well, when he got there, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves. These would have been for sacrifices, and that would have been all well and good. People need to sacrifice. But the problem was uh, when the priests are inspecting the sacrifices that some people had gone through great effort to bring, they'd say, sorry, oh, actually, this sacrifice isn't good enough, but we have some for sale. Uh, so you can buy one of these, which happened to be really overpriced. Um, but don't worry you can buy it here. Fine, fine, I'll buy it here. I imagine it's kind of like when you go to the airport and you're like, fine, I'll pay $100 to put on my suitcase. That's a little personal. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, so they say, okay, I'll buy one. It's like, oh, but, but the money you brought. Sorry, the mo that money's no good here. That's the empire currency. You need the temple currency. So we will, we will exchange it at a horribly unfair rate. And we'll make out like bandits, and you'll be left with hardly anything. Um, this uh, right here is uh, all this together is what got Jesus so 
fired up. Because being in house, uh, being in God's house is good. Being in the courts of the Lord is good. Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. God's house is a good place to be. Abraham, uh, you know, we talk about God and access. Abraham his line was said, his family, his, his lineage would bless the nations. He would bless the nation to be a blessing to all the world. That's the purpose of Abraham's line. And God does that through Jesus. In Ephesians 3, we see that in Jesus, in faith and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. We have that access to God through Jesus. Jesus says himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When we look at, uh, you could think of when Jesus died on the cross, what happened in the temple, uh, the, the curtain that separated the rest of the temple from the Holy of Holies, the innermost place where the Ark of Covenant was, where God's presence was, that ripped from top to bottom. At Jesus' death, there was access granted to all people to God. He's doing a new thing. God wants people to be able to get to him. He gets pretty angry about the injustice uh, that can occur when people are blocked. Denying access to God is really also denying God's mission for his people. The whole point is we're to bring people to God, go out to all the world, make disciples of all nations. If we can't bring them to God, we're, we're not doing our job. I think I've driven it home. Access is important to God, yeah? Move on, Dan. Great. All right, so was Jesus overreacting? Oh, somebody said no. The first, the first service, they didn't answer me at all. They're like, you tell us. <laughs> he made a whip. He flipped tables. So um, we're going to step back from just being in the story. And we're just, we're gonna, let's talk about anger. You know, maybe you're really familiar with Bible stuff. Maybe you're not. But I think everybody's familiar with, with anger, with emotions. Anger hasn't been a big part of my life, but it, it has been a part of it. There have been select moments in particular. I'm thinking of one where uh, I was living with a roommate in Minneapolis, and uh, I told him like 50 times to close the garage because I didn't want anybody to steal my bike. And then, of course, he left it open, and the, my bike got stolen, and him and I almost threw hands outside of a Broadway pizza. Again, a little personal, but a very real story. These kind of things happen. Um, and anger, you know, for some people, it's like it's, it's something you struggle with on the daily. For me, it's not really my vice of choice. I'm pretty chill uh, most of the time. And then I had kids. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I tell you what, <laughs> oh, we are very good friends now. Um, because they push every trigger and every button and every little thing that they know how to do. And I did the same thing when I was a kid. I'm absolutely certain of it. But now it's happening to me and it's not okay. And in large part, it's not them. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. And I know uh, that it's me because it's, it's not as bad with my second kid. And it's not all because my second kid is that much different from my first, but it's because we start seeing the same thing in the second child, the patterns, like, oh, this is about when she started saying no to everything. And here's where, okay, this is starting to, huh. Um, maybe you've heard of birth order. It's, uh, it's when, like, certain kids are a certain way because of certain reasons. Like, the firstborn is really like... Like, get the affairs in order, get the business done, do this. The second one is like, I'm out of here, whatever. And then, the, like, the third one through, like, the eighth ones just eat off the floor and nobody cares. <laughs> and I was always like, yeah, you, I see you. All right. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, why does this happen? I, I remember hearing about it as, as like a teenager, as in college, learning about family systems and, and just that this happens. I was like, why is this a thing? And I realized it's not because of the kids. It's not because the kids are like this, just happen to be every firstborn. It's because of the parents. It's because every time with the first one, the parents are like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and we have more focused attention on getting them to try to do everything right. And by the last one, you're just exhausted. You're like, I don't care. Did you eat? Good. Whatever. <sighs> A little bit personal, huh? <laughs> and we get mad. We get upset when things happen. And we, we try not to, but, but it's like we get upset because, because they're, they're not fully, you know, in parenting, not fully mature, not fully grown. And that makes us mad, even though we're the exact same way. We're not fully mature. We're not there yet. We're just a little bit down the road. Uh, and our emotional maturity really should be a lot further down the road because we have the cognitive capacity to do so. We just haven't done it. So it's kind of, it's, it's on me, you know? Um, but anger uh, as, as a whole thing, you know, um, anger is not a bad thing in itself. And, and uh, it can be a righteous thing. It can be a good thing. It can be well utilized. The scriptures say in James, in your anger, do not sin. Um, but anger is, is, a, is an emotion. And um, I never learned about anger because in my house, it wasn't really an angry house in general. I think that feeling was a little bit um, suppressed. Uh, so I didn't learn why, when, and how to be angry. And I think I just kind of assumed it wasn't okay, like it was a bad feeling. Um, there aren't really any bad feelings uh, as far as the judgment calls. Anybody kind of felt like you've, you've learned or you kind of feel like anger is a bad thing? Anybody? Yeah, I see a few. I see a few nods and such. Um, you're not alone. So I learned over the years, um, part, of, part of maturity, part of even spiritual maturity is, is growing up into our whole selves, even our, our emotional maturity. And uh, just learning that feelings aren't bad, um, you know, we just have to manage what we do with them and, and grow into a maturity to handle those emotions well. Uh, feelings are like, they're road signs from our bodies, right? They, they're signs that tell you things, but, but they're not the road. 
They're not, they're not meant to be the thing you travel down. You don't travel down anger. You see the anger and you're like, whoa, okay, I need to, I need to see, <laughs> I need to see something here as I'm, as I'm going forth. And the cool thing is, as, as you mature, as we mature, as I've matured, the signs start to look different. And instead of like, do not enter, it's more like warning, falling rocks ahead. Because you know, okay, this thing that I'm about to step into is going to make me upset, so let me just prepare myself for what's to come. Um, a lot of things can make us angry. And there's, there's ways to be angry, and here's two options I don't recommend. One is the nuclear bomb. This is probably one I'm more prone to. The nuclear bomb is when like the pressure just builds up, builds up, builds up. You're fine, you're fine, then all of a sudden, and like you blow up, you might yell, you might be mad, and then you're fine. But like everything around you is just like a wake of destruction. Um, so I don't really recommend that. The other side is I call the finicky flamethrower. And this is another word, uh, you know, if you, if you suffer from the great northern uh, disease called passive aggressiveness. Uh, <laughs> That's what this is. It's the finicky flamethrower where you, you, the pressure builds up, but instead of all blowing up at once, you've just got this little angry pilot light, and then every once in a while, you just, you just scorch somebody right in front of you with a little passive-aggressive comment. It's not healthy, and it's not helpful, um, but you don't know how to get out of it. We need to release the pressure somehow, because suppressing your anger is like holding a beach ball underwater. Have you done it? I always joke with uh, my friends whenever they're like, yeah, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm like, yeah, because, you know, when you hold a beach ball underwater, it just stays down forever. <laughs> It'll be fine. No, it just goes, boom, and it pops up, and there's water everywhere. That's what happens when we try to put our anger down. So toward the end here, I'll say a little bit about, like, so what, what maybe could we do with finding those anger? But, but finding a safe space is important. I will say that here. You know, finding a safe space and a way to let your anger out is important. Back to the question, was Jesus overreacting? I mean, he was mad, but I think it's really just the wrong question. Was Jesus over? The, the right question is, who should be separated from God? Who should be separated from God, and who has the right to keep them away? N no one. Yeah I'm, hearing, yeah, I'm hearing that throughout the room. Nobody. That's right. Nobody does. Nobody should be separated from God. No one should keep them away. We do not have that right. God is always concerned in Scripture about the vulnerable, about orphans, widows, immigrants. Um, in Deuteronomy 10, 18, the Lord defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. The Lord does that. The Lord provides for the vulnerable. Jesus, in Luke 4, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is infinitely concerned with the vulnerable, the ones who uh, are being denied access to God left and right for different reasons. He's saying, nope, I'm bringing it. I'm bringing it myself. And I think until we suffer the same injustices as another person, we can't understand their anger. 
until you've literally experienced the same situation that somebody else has experienced. You can't really understand their anger and why they're angry. I can't understand my kid's anger because I'm not a kid. There are other social situations going on right now that we cannot understand the anger that's happening because it's not like us. And I wonder if Jesus got it. I wonder if Jesus got it. Jesus, he was without sin, yet became sin for us. Jesus gave up his throne. Jesus and the Father were one, and yet the religious authorities said he was from Satan. No wonder Jesus rose up against the money changers and the scammers trying to keep God-fearing pilgrims away from their father, because Jesus is like those pilgrims. He knows what it's like. My hope is that as a, as a grace people, um, we'll grow in two ways. One is uh, seeing the blind spots of, of um, what it means to, to keep people from or help people to uh, have access to God. And the other one is to grow in emotional maturity. So for the first one, um, the question, is there anyone you're keeping from God? Weird question, right? Like, how would I be keeping someone with, from God? Um, and I don't know that, that everyone does, but sometimes it's just withholding. I remember a, a, when I was in high school, I had a friend, and he was like straight up satanic, like by, by his own definition. Like, yeah, I worship Satan, and he like just did stuff. Four years later, I was working in a Christian bookstore, and he walked in, and I was like, why are you here? And he's like, oh, bro, I'm a Christian now. What? Are you kidding me? But I remember in high school, even to him, we would talk about to him about Jesus, and though he didn't hear it, it was kind of like, well, we're praying for you, man, and we're still friends. Um, and it's easy to discount people and what God can do in and through them. And I wonder if sometimes not providing access to God because we think people might not receive it is just as big of an offense as denying it. Like if you, if we, if I count somebody out, write them off, say they're too far gone, they're lost, I'm done. Uh, I wonder if that's really just as bad as saying you can't come. I don't know. You can discuss that in your growth groups. Inside the church, I think there are some pretty cool things that we are doing. Uh, for instance, for our homebound, we have, for our, for our members who are at home, hello, hi, uh, we see you. And uh, there's a homebound visitation ministry. You, you all, the church, uh, is going out at the leadership of Pastor Mary Ellen and going out and visiting, uh, I think, close to 100 homebound on a pretty regular basis, bringing community and prayer and communion and anointing for the sick uh, to to them, to you. It's pretty incredible. And we're doing that. Um, and also the live stream, you know, it's more than us just trying to be super tech savvy, but it's for people who can't be here. It's pretty great that we have the opportunity to provide access to the worship of God's people that way for those who can't leave their homes. 
But also, you know, children and students, do you know we have age-appropriate programming? Yeah, Sunday school, his kids. These are ways that we, we provide access to God for the littlest and most vulnerable among us in language, with topics, in ways that they can understand. And our role as, as parents, as guardians, whoever, is to get the kids here because they can't drive themselves. My kids tried, they can't do it. But they can't do it. They can't, uh, they can't read, so it's not like, can be like, go read your Bible. I have to read them Bible stories. They're not going to learn their praise on their own. I have to teach them the prayers. We do that. You know, Dan, as minister, as worship leader, does not have that responsibility for your children. But Dan, as dad, 100% has it for my own. I do not get out of that. So that's the access that we get to provide, and God cares about it. So I pray that the, the Lord would also just, you know, as you're thinking about coworkers, neighbors, like who's in your sphere, who's in your, who's in your, uh, in your realm, who do you work with, who do you know, who's in your family, that, um, that the Lord is reaching out to. And, and what I'm not saying is, all right, I better put on my my work boots and my evangelism hat and get out there and just start blasting people with the word. You know, it takes a spirit of discernment. And so we pray, we say, Holy Spirit, help me to see who you are reaching out to and how can I be a part of that? You know, let's not put on the guilt and shame thing, like I'm not doing enough. Um, let's be discerning about that. Along with that discernment, um, something I'd like to call anger discernment. It's not anger management. It's different. Anger discernment. It's, it's the way that we, we try to pay attention to those road signs that our bodies give us. Is this, is this righteous anger? Is this something of the Lord? Or is this just, I'm not getting my way and I'm just mad about it? So we can do that too. Um, we don't have a course in that. We don't have a way to get better in that. But I tell you what, being part of a growth group, having a faith mentor, which, which we do offer, if you're interested in that, let me know. We can hook you up with somebody. Um, or just having a friend to check in with uh, who will pray for you is good. The kind of friend I would recommend is those people that you know. Like, I think everybody knows somebody who's just like, God, you are just not rattled. You're just so, like, chill. You're a person of peace. Um, those are good people to check in with. So, like, hey, can you pray for me about this? Um, because we want, we want to mature. Part of our spiritual maturity is our emotional maturity, and we want to grow together as a church. Um, I think that'll also make us be more gracious and honestly just a better witness for Jesus out there. Are we going to do it perfectly? No, no, absolutely not. Uh, but praise be to God, you know, he's the one who gives us access to the Father, even, even in our sin. He takes our sin for us, and he's got it so that we can continue to have access and worship him. Let's Let's help provide the same for others as best we can. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the stories of Jesus that have been recorded through time that we can uh, see and learn from, not just for information, but for transformation. Holy Spirit, I pray that you reveal uh, something to us today about how you want to work this out through us, how we can encourage access to you. Help us to move from access denied to access granted. 
And I pray that you would grow us emotionally, spiritually, uh, holistically, so that we can help to build that kingdom that you are building. We submit ourselves to you. Uh, not quite sure how you do those amazing spiritual changes you do inside of us, but we trust that you will. And we put ourselves before you for that. Pray this all in that name, that mighty name of Jesus. Amen.